but I, I can say simply, and, and I, I don't, that's not what I wanted you to be here for, is to hear about dinosaurs, the other things I, would, what I wanted you to hear about, but um, large reptiles and dinosaurs um, have become a, uh, a terrible dilemma, but not for creationists, for evolutionists. Uh, we believe that uh, dinosaurs were on the ark. Uh, baby ones. <laughs> um, that dinosaurs were on the ark and they are an extinct uh, uh, form of life. Um, and their extinction is something that is required by evolution. Not, uh, not anything that is um, an embarrassment to anybody. But uh, folks, extinction is just a part of the natural evolution upward, according to an evolutionist. Uh, but uh, since the arrival of settlers in America, this might be interesting to you, since the, since the arrivals of, uh, of uh, settlers in America in the early 1600s, over 500 species and subspecies of native biota have uh, become extinct. And there are another 170 animals that are on a designated endangered list today. The extinction of dinosaurs uh, does not have anything to do with a disruption of a creationist story. It never has, never will. So that's all I want to tell you. We believe that dinosaurs, we believe they were there and, uh, and have fossils to prove those and were uh, a part of the animal life on the ark. Now, um, from uh, Darwin's presentation of the origin of the species um, there has uh, there has been a a certainty among Darwinians um, that the, uh, that the fossil record would prove a descent of man and Darwin said that that uh, that descent that record would be found in the fossil record um, and there has been a, a not, not so subtle, but a very uh, clear pressure on the evolutionist for some empirical confirmation of that descent of man. And um, if anyone could provide that uh, empirical data, there would be worldwide fame and fortune awaiting him. And so you can imagine the, the pressure that has been on the paleontologist to try and come up with the missing links that are so necessary to evolutionary theory. Uh, the pressure for confirmation of this theory is, has been so great in the past that it has led to one spectacular fraud after the other. Now, uh, we'll mention those frauds in a moment, but uh, first, I want to share with you uh, one of my prized possessions. When the uh, tornado hit back in 94, uh, Bill called me in the afternoon. It was about 3.20 when it struck, and he called me about 3.22. He said, Jimmy, we've been hit. And um, so I got in the car and ran out here, and one of my major concerns was my files. I didn't care. Well, I, I wanted my library, too. But um, I didn't, um, I knew I could replace the books. But there were certain things in my files that if the tornado had gotten them, I could not have ever replaced them. One of those is this. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, um, I don't know that I could ever find this again. 
but I think most of you have seen something like it. This is priceless in my mind. This is a, uh, a Time Life series entitled The Emergence of Man. This is that um, thing that I referred to, the descent of man, or the ascent, depending on your perspective. The descent of man, uh, as presented by Time Life. This was given to me by a school teacher who taught the fourth grade in Ocala. She found it in the bottom of her desk. And uh, she was pressured by her school board. This came with a, uh, this was a six um, uh, unit set uh, with uh, video, with the audios, audio cassettes, and with those little uh, slide shows of the emergence of man uh, picturing this, this thing. Now, gang, um, uh, this thing, has, has had a very clear impact on public imagination. I don't know whether you ever read the cartoons on Sunday morning or other times, but uh, do you read Frank and Ernest? Well, about once every three months or so, Frank and Ernest has some kind of uh, funny about the evolutionary status of man. And that this idea is firmly imprinted on, the, on public opinion. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not seen this, somehow I would bet that in your psyche is this imprint of this thing taking place. Now, folks, this thing is pretty convincing to a fourth grader, particularly uh, when the fourth graders are told that the fossil evidence is there, uh, has, has been presented by paleontologists to support uh, this, uh, this idea and that the skeletons... Uh, have been discovered. I mentioned frauds. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let me outline for you a few of the frauds contained in this. Now, I mean, I hope you can see this, at least in part. Um, it's, it's rather difficult to place, uh, for instance, the primary fraud, or I guess the most notorious fraud, is Piltdown Man. You ever heard of Piltdown Man? What, what I'm saying is it's kind of hard to tell you which one of these would really qualify as Piltdown Man, but as best I can determine, it would be this handsome fellow. Um, it was uh, in 1912, uh, an archaeologist uh, discovered uh, something that he... Um, uh, it was in a gravel pit in Piltdown, England. That's how he got his name, Piltdown Man. Um, Richard, is, is Richard still in here? Um, could, you, could you turn on the lights? <laughs> I can't even see what I've written. I'm sorry to do this, guys, and wake y'all up. Uh, actually, you can keep theirs off if I can have mine. What about that one right there? <laughs> there it is. Ah, how about that? Um, and this discovery in that gravel pit in Piltdown, England, was hailed as the missing link between ape and man. Um, but, unfortunately, and I don't have the year down here, but I want to say it was 1973, somewhere around there, uh, probably a little later, maybe 1983, um, an article appeared in the British Weekly, a science magazine known as Nature, revealing that Piltdown Man was a spectacular hoax. 
Um, and it had been staged by Professor William Solas, S-O-L-L-A-S, of Oxford University. Um, the, the discovery of this fraud had taken place in 1953. But the publication of the evidence of this fraud was held on to for another 30 years. Uh, one, what, what the, the discovery was a jaw that was attached to a human cranium, or at least so-called, and it turned out that Professor Solis had attached that himself. It was the jaw of a gibbon uh, with a, an, uh, no, a, a jaw of an orangutan, they're all the same, uh, a, a jaw of a orangutan with a human uh, skullcap. He had even gone so far as to dye some of the teeth in the jaw of the orangutan. As I said, the hoax was discovered in 1953, but was not reported for another 30 years. And the reason given was that Solis, when he finally did come clean, said he was trying to play a trick on an aspiring young uh, colleague and when the rest of the scientific world in Britain did not detect the falsity of this thing he thought oh no I am going to embarrass the rest of the British scientific community and so he held on the, the, the information that this was a hoax was held on to for another 30 years before it came to light as this being a giant hoax. Now that's Piltdown Man, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <clears throat> as I said, it turned out to be the union of a jaw of an orangutan and a human skullcap. But that's not uh, the end of the, the, uh, uh, the scandal. How about Nebraska Man? Have you ever heard of Nebraska Man? Let me find him. Um... Oh, heck. I guess it really doesn't matter, does it? Um, but I thought I had him marked here, Nebraska man. Um, well, one of these fellows is, uh, is Nebraska man. He was discovered in Nebraska. That's why they call him Nebraska man in 1922 by a man by the name of Harold Cook. Supposedly, um, it was a uh, pre-human fossil. Now, ladies and gentlemen, first, the first fact that you need to know about Nebraska man... By the way, he was dated one million years old. The first thing that you need to know about Nebraska man is that the only fossil evidence that existed, the only fossil evidence in possession, was a tooth. One tooth. Now, whoever a Nebraska man is here, we'll just, you know, for argument's sake, we'll call him this fella. I'm not sure. But his whole skeleton was developed around the summation of one piece of evidence, that being a tooth. And then, secondly, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, that tooth was discovered to be from a peccary, P-E-C-C-A-R-Y, which is a kind of pig. Um, those two became a great source of embarrassment for evolutionists. But, folks, that's not the end. Java Man. Have you heard of Java Man? 1920 by Dr. Eugene Dubois, a Dutch anthro anthropologist, would be 
this fellow, um, again, um, uh, he was, uh, they had a skull cap of a gibbon, and it was later admitted by Dr. Dubois that those bones were not, uh, not human, but ape, and uh, they were found right next to two human skull caps, which he hid in his desk drawer for 30 years. While he um, uh, discussed around the world Java Man, when he himself knew that to be an utter fraud. Um, how about Peking Man? It was discovered in 1939. That too, let me see if I can find Peking Man. Oh, I think it's this big one. Uh, again, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure of that. Uh, Peking Man, 1939, uh, again, he too, was, uh, who was first hailed as a missing link between ape and man, turned out to be a really an ape, and was found again alongside five normal skulls, human skulls. Um, Rampithecus, ever heard of Rampithecus? I do have him. He is rather ape-like looking. Rampithecus, this fellow over here, is now known to be fully ape, not in any part man. By the way, did you know that Pithecus means ape? He was found in India in 1932. And um, uh, again, all of the, uh, the fossil evidence consisted of several teeth and jaw fragments. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if all I was dealing with is the paucity of fossil evidence, I think we would have a case. But that's not all we're dealing with. We're dealing with outright fraud. Perpetrated on a gullible public, prompted and motivated, I think, by the pressure on paleontology to find evidence that would support the theory which would lead to, as I said, fame and fortune. Well, we're still not through. How about Australopithecus? Australopithecus. Pithecus means ape. Australia means southern. Australopithecus is the southern ape. He was originally found by Louis Leakey. You've heard of uh, Leakey, a, a very uh, famous paleontologist. He was found in East Africa. Now, uh, that which was again hailed as a, as a missing link between ape and man, missing link between ape and man, uh, that was overturned and was discovered to be, uh, without any doubt, an ape. And the one who overturned his discovery was his own son, Richard Leakey. Now, guys, um, first, may I say to you that there are in existence uh, full skeletons of uh, Neanderthal, Cro-Magnon, and modern man. These three. These three right down here. Now, but from here to here, the entirety of the fossil evidence could fit safely on the top of a card table. And, ladies and gentlemen, whatever evidence it is has been discovered to be not one shred, not one piece, not one smidgen of a missing link. It has all been uh, demonstrated to be now ape-like or from the ape kingdom. Now, guys, um, as I said, these three, uh, Neanderthal, Neanderthal, Cro-Magnon and modern man have been proven to, ex to exist by human skeletons. Uh, all the others were constructed on fragments, many of them fraudulently so. 
all the fossil evidence, folks. Again, listen, all of it. None of the fossil evidence that went into building any of this now is used by paleontologists to demonstrate anything. In fact, it is a source of great embarrassment only to be avoided by paleontology. Now, why didn't somebody tell that to Time Life while they were teaching this to our fourth graders? Why is it that impressed so indelibly on your consciousness this thing when it is full of fraud? Outright, open, admitted fraud. Uh, uh, Stephen Jay Gould, the Harvard evolutionist, uh, has tried to redirect the whole evolutionary community because this thing is such an embarrassment to them. Now, let me comment about these three. Um, Neanderthal, Cro-Magnon, and modern man. Um, oh, before I do that. Um, yes. Um, as if evolution didn't have enough problems with the, the fraud... Um, one scientist by the name of Bourne, B-O-U-R-N-E, has recently stated that his examination of men and apes has led him to the definite conclusion that apes evolved from men. Another scientist who examined similarities in blood between various animals has concluded that the closest relative to a man is not an ape, but a pig. That makes a whole lot more sense to me, at, um, looking at some of us. But, um, uh, folks, one of Britain's most significant scientists is a guy by the name of Sir Solly Zuckerman, wrote a book entitled Beyond the Ivory Tower, and he says in there this. This is an evolutionist, not a creationist. He says, and I quote, There are no fossil traces of a transformation from an ape-like creature to man. If man evolved from an ape-like creature, he did so without leaving a trace of that evolution in the fossil record. Did you hear that? Then tell me, ladies and gentlemen, why is this so indelibly imprinted on our consciousness? Not a trace in the fossil record. Not a trace in the fossil record. But this is what we think is the evidence of evolutionary theory. It is a phantom, ladies and gentlemen. It does not exist. Now, speaking of Neanderthal man, everybody has heard of him. He's the, uh, the caveman. Um, uh, actually, Neanderthal man, um, to most people, is synonymous with the whole idea of evolution. Once he sees Neanderthal man, he thinks evolution. Um, he's the one that drug his wife around by the hair. Um, he was a, a supposed forerunner of modern man. He was found in 1856 when workmen were blasting in a cave in the Neander Valley near Dusseldorf, Germany. Um, and um, when they examined these bones, the evolutionists sold this specimen uh, as being the link of ape to man. Uh, 
Now, unfortunately, in 19... Well, actually, it was confirmed in 1970, but through the studies of another German anatomist, Rudolf Virchow, um, and then later confirmed by Francis Ivanhoe in 1970, it is now known that the primitive features associated with Neanderthal man, the bull neck, the, uh, the bent knees, etc., that those characteristics of this skeleton found in, near Dusseldorf, Germany, were produced by nutritional defi uh, deficiencies and pathological conditions such as rickets, this man is considered fully human. He is known to have raised flowers, fashioned elegant tools, painted pictures, and practiced some type of religion. Ladies and gentlemen, this is no link. This is modern man with rickets. Very frankly, um, some, uh, two scientists were quoted as saying, if you were, ta if you were to take Neanderthal man, uh, resurrect him, place him in a New York subway, no one would turn their heads. <laughs> if you want a, a, a classic illustration of a Neander Neanderthal skull, then watch NBA basketball. Uh, the New York Knicks has a starting center by the name of Patrick Ewing who has a classic Neanderthal skull. Completely modern man, ladies and entirely modern man. Um, <clears throat> guys, again, one of those, one of those impressions that are left on us, and, and very frankly, I think many of us took it from the fourth grade. I think they started teaching us this stuff so early that when we think of Neanderthal man, when we think of caveman, when we think of, um, uh, you know, a man, we think automatically of evolution. When we think of dinosaurs, we think of evolution. When in fact, ladies and gentlemen, none of this even exists. And the existence of dinosaurs doesn't do anything to a creationist position. Um, listen to this statement by Thomas Huxley, who was, of course, one of the most famous of all uh, evolutionists. Thomas Huxley, in his uh, book, Man's Place in Nature, he says this, Perhaps no order of mammals presents us with so or extraordinary a series of gradation as this, man, leading us insensibly from the crown and summit of the animal creation down to the creatures from which there is but a step, as it seems, to the lowest, smallest, and least intelligent of the placental mammals. Now, you see what he's saying? He is promoting this, ladies and gentlemen, as the ultimate proof. And now, the evolutionary thought is to avoid it at all cost. I wonder how many people developed their views of reality by listening to this stuff. And as a result, by the way, folks, do you know the role of truth? Do you know what truth is supposed to do? Truth is supposed to be that thing that helps us integrate with reality. When we have truth, we can best cope with and deal with reality. When we have falsity, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot deal with reality. Now, so in your whole view of life and death and eternity, if this is what you believe then what kind of impact do you think that might have made on one's reality? And now, this has all been debunked. 
I wonder how many people paid an eternal price for the frauds of Dubois and Solis. Dr. Michael, Michael Denton in that book that I've been promoting, um, um, Evolution of Theory and Crisis, he says, whatever conclusion we wish to draw from such sequential arrangements, they provide no evidence whatsoever for believing that one type of organism was ever gradually converted into another through a series of intermediate forms as Darwin's model of evolution requires. Did you get that? The evidence, there is no evidence whatsoever for believing that one type of organism, apes, was ever gradually converted into another man through a series of intermediate forms as Darwin's model of evolution requires. No evidence whatsoever. This was taught to our fourth graders. Gang, I, I want to close with um, with just a kind of a description, not so much of evolution, but just a. Let's imagine, for a moment, that I was um, the owner of the Titanic, and before she sailed, I knew that the Titanic had certain design flaws, and um, but. If uh, given a trip of smooth sailing, if there was no, um, you know, disasters, everybody would be fine. But I possess the information that there were certain design flaws in that thing, but, uh, you know, as long as it doesn't, you know, do anything irregular, everything's going to be fine. Now, my, my question is this. If I possess that information, is there not some culpability on my part for the death of those people who died in the Titanic? Am I not in some way guilty for the destruction of human life because of information that I withheld? You darn tootin' I am. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, to withhold this information from a gullible public and from an ill-informed Christian church was the cruelest form of wickedness. People have gone to their graves believing in this chart. And this chart represents a giant Guys, um, we had, um, after our first uh, little lesson here together that I almost pulled muscles in my abdomen, um, I gave you out a handout, a handout of, uh, about R.C. Sproul, who was debating, who was answering uh, Carl Sagan over the issue of chance. And one of our high schoolers took that article and put it in the hand of her teacher, or yeah, her teacher. And um, that teacher um, responded violently. 
and came back and threw the article in the child's face and said, uh, um, oh, actually told the girl that, she had, that the teacher had written a four-page or two-page or one-page refutation of that R.C. Sproul article on chance. Of course, the question is, could I read that? And his reply was, or her reply, no. Why, ladies and gentlemen? I I'm telling you, if this does not upset you, then you are somewhat dead! That this could be taken to your fourth graders while your tax dollars support it and you not find that infuriating while your children begin to form their whole concepts of truth which is supposed to help them relate or integrate with, with reality? Isn't that our job, brother and daddy? And you have let them buy into this and never open your mouth. And when the Titanic goes down, ladies and gentlemen, there will be blood on all our hands because we knew there was no evidence for this. And we said nothing. I beg you, my brother and sister in Christ, there is no need to be intimidated any longer. They are scared to death of you. Um, I'm trying to get out of here a little early because I want to take my wife out to supper. It's Valentine's. <clears throat> One quick thing. Just as a, just as a, my goal is, in this whole series has been to prepare you. Now, well, no, that's not really true. My, my, my real goal is to, is to give you such a high comfort level with this book that, that you would not doubt it anymore, that you, knew that, that you would know that you have in your hands the Word of God. And I think the greatest assaulter of, of this, the authority of this book is the whole evolutionary crowd. But a secondary issue is that I want, I, you know, I, I don't want public education to get away with, with your children what they've gotten away with for decades. Um, just as a, just as a um, closing piece of advice, take this, but I heard this on a series of tapes that Richard Savori gave me, and it was wonderful. This little college student had headed on to a uh, college campus, and um, she went to her class as, a, as an early-on freshman, and the, and the instructor um, said to the audience, said something like, um, anybody who believes in Christianity is, an, is a, um, an uneducated buffoon or something like that. And um, uh, challenged the class, does anybody believe in that? And this little girl raised her hand. And of course, he stood her up and, and made her an object lesson of scorn, etc., and a derision. And uh, this little girl stood up at the question and answer time and said, how do I handle that? And I forget who it was. I, I want to say it was Os Guinness, but um, Os Guinness or whoever told this little girl to do this. And I, and I think this is the best piece of advice I, that I'd, I'd heard in a long time. He said, well, first of all, I wouldn't try to defend my position. This is what I would ask if I were you. I would say, well, sir, then what do you believe? Because basically, ladies and gentlemen, the philosophical world of the non-Christian is bankrupt. 
they believe in more often than not is pure irrationality. What do they believe? But tonight, even more important than that to me is this. What do you believe? What do you believe? I said at the very opening gun, you can't have both of these. You either are a creationist or you are an evolutionist. What do you believe? Let's go ahead. Our Father, um, I, I pray that you would stir us up to a height of holy irritation that we could not any longer abide in silence the utter decay of truth all around us. Oh God, give us a, um, an opportunity to, uh, to defend the truth, but oh God, prepare us to do so. Might you raise up among us a group of people who are so determined to know and to, uh, to rightly divide that they would never again be frightened by the onslaught of an unbelieving scientific community who is desperate to find evidence that would allow them to continue in their unbelief. Oh God, um, I also beg you to give your people such a sweet, sure confidence in your word they would never again find themselves intimidated by those uh, who, who um, reject its authority. And now, Father, uh, we do thank you for the, uh, the meaning of this day. It is a day where love is celebrated. We want to be lovers of our wives and lovers of our husbands. I pray, O oh God, that you will do that among us, that you would give us the strongest of marriages that our people would find themselves uh, falling more and more in love with each other, that uh, our marriages might not uh, wane, but they might improve. Oh God, give us uh, men who want to play the role of biblical males and give us women who want to play the role of biblical females. We commit ourselves, Lord, to that goal, all in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who in our eyes is altogether lovely. Amen. Thank you and good night.